Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, your guide to everything love, sex, intimacy, and relationships. Each week, your host, Zach Beach, interviews new experts on love, including couples therapists, relationship coaches, sex educators, and best-selling authors. Learn the best tips and cutting-edge wisdom to better love yourself, others, and the world. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Learn to Love podcast, everyone. I am your host, Zach Beach, and I'm here with the incredible therapist and caregiver, Daniela Marchik. Hello, Daniela, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here, Zach. It's an honor. Today, we are going to be talking about caregiving, love, and aging. And for those that don't know, Daniela Marchik is a licensed therapist and consultant who focuses on elder caregivers, both personal families and professionals. She has worked with elder care partners of individuals diagnosed with dementia and has her own private practice. Daniela leads workshops to teach fellow therapists, coaches, and helping professionals about the emotional path of care partners. With a master's in counseling education and certificate in gerontology, she helps others build healthy habits, experience the range of emotions without being overwhelmed, and find meaning at different stages in life. How are you today, Danielle? Uh, Great. (laughs) It was was fun to hear you read what I do. (laughs) It sounds so simple and yet so complicated. (laughs) Oh, it sounds, yeah, both heartbreaking and wonderful at the same time. And Mm I'm so excited about today's topic. We've had over 100 episodes and just even aging, we only had one episode on specifically on what love looks like later on in life, but we haven't gotten into just caregiving in general. So I'm really curious what got you into it. You have a certificate in gerontology, which I didn't even realize was a thing. Well, I know gerontology (laughs) was a thing, but that someone would go and kind of study it or learn about it. Right. So what brought you into it? Well, I think you're hitting the nail on the head here, Zach, is that even though this is such a big part of our culture, every culture really, the aging process and taking care of either a partner or an adult parent, that we really don't talk about it because there is this fear of death that we mm. have and this focus on on living and that we sort of separate the two, but really it's deeply connected. To be alive mm. is to witness death, right? You can think you can even see it in nature. We see the winter that that things shrivel up and in the spring they become alive again. And so I am trying to say change the narrative and make sure that we are talking about aging and death because if we're lucky, it will happen for us all. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term the silver tsunami, but it is talked about in some industries in the industry that I am in the aging and gerontology world. And it's about the fact that the baby boomers are getting to be in these elder stages of life and we are going to be hit, our culture is going to be hit with this tsunami of individuals mm. who need care and need medical attention. Mm-hmm. The reason I was 
was drawn to gerontologies that I grew up really close with my grandmother and grandfather. And my grandmother got dementia when I was a little bit younger and I got to be really involved with her care and lived with her for a few years, taking care of her and have always been drawn to spending time with our elders and Life took me a couple different directions. I, of course, went into climate policy for a little bit and realized that wasn't the heartbreak that I could handle, but I could handle the heartbreak of of aging and death. And so mm. I got a certificate in gerontology to make sure that I had the background, the educational background to meet my passion of, of caring for our elders and particularly with the caregivers. Uh, At one point I was working at an elder care home and I was on the activities team, one of the funnest jobs of my life, (laughs) and got to work every day with individuals with dementia and help entertain them. And through that process, I got to interact with their family members and they were so stressed most of the time. Mm. And one story that really sticks out to me is that there was one participant who came in. She was living with dementia and she's like, my daughter's mad at me and I don't know why. And so her and I went to the other room. We did some deep breathing. We tried to calm down and we calmed down in the minute and returned to some activities. But then she kept returning to it all day. My daughter's mad at me and I don't know why. And Mm. there's this truth out there is that we remember the emotional implications and the emotional impacts of someone getting mad at us, even if we can't remember the content, especially for individuals with dementia. And so that was a clarity moment for me that our family caregivers and our professional caregivers deserve more support than they're getting so that they aren't at that at this breaking point where they're yelling mm-hmm. and thinking, oh, my elder won't remember they have dementia anyways. Hmm. Wow. So powerful. And there's so many di- different directions we can take this. I want to go back to something you said towards the beginning around the fear of death, because I am curious whether it is nature or nurture. Because on the one hand, it seems like the fear of death should be hardwired in to our brain because, of course, we need to survive. So we want to avoid, of course, any any sort of thing that is going to put us at the risk of death. But at the same time, I also hear this basic idea that we live in a death-phobic culture. And it does seem like we would put a lot of effort into hiding away this process of life. It's both. The nurture and nature argument, I think, is so real and alive in many aspects, but I think it is both. I think that we as a species can become a lot more comfortable with death if we were to talk about it. And it's arguably one of the most common experiences that we as humans go through is to say goodbye Mm. via death to a family member. So I think there's something that because we hide it, we make it feel like it's uncommon. And instead, if we were to really talk about it and to celebrate it and to even make plans for it, then it's not going to be easier to say goodbye to your mom. But there 
is framework around it. And that is often actually Mm. why a lot of people turn to religion around death is because it offers this framework and these prayers and these traditions that one can do in the moment instead of being stuck in overwhelm. As you mentioned, it's very natural to be scared of death or else we would run up and down mountains without any hesitation or be close to big animals. But we live in a modern world in which we're not often running up and down mountains or being chased by big animals. And what a concern is, is that we hold on to that fear for a long time instead of what it meant to us for us to be naturally is make you really scared, have the adrenaline push, get to safety and then come back down. But since we live in a modern world, we just have this fear of death sort of continuously, which can be draining on, on us emotionally and physically. And I think that there is a lot of room for improvement in our cultures to really accept death and welcome it and invite it in as a part of life. Many people really learn about the depth of compassion through their first experience of death. And then all of a sudden that deep compassion is available to other ones who have lost a loved one recently. I hope for our culture to embrace death a little bit more and it and it be more of a celebratory thing that someone has lived a complete life. You know, something I think is really true about being a caregiver is that you really are invited to this depth of compassion because you are witnessing someone wrap up their life and suffering and really the rawness of of experience of being alive and watching someone die, that all of a sudden Mm. you recognize how impactful your relationships are with others. And so when you have gone through something where you are really giving of yourself to care for someone else, you then look around and see the other caregivers and you have this sense of compassion of what they're giving up and what they're dedicating themselves to in the name of love, if we're going to bring it here to this podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Though I do have to say, not always are our caregivers acting out of love. Mm. They sometimes are acting out of obligation, which is yet another sense of love in many ways because we are in these complicated human relationships and some of them are really gentle and have had time for healing and peaceful. And other times Mm. people are caring for people who were abusive to them because that Mm. is true in life and love. It can be gentle and it can be tough. Well, that's what I wanted to get into along the lines of the unknown and uncertainty of the death process because when I hear about it being a celebratory process, I think about, yes, ideally, in a perfect world, you have all your friends and family around you on your deathbed, expressing their appreciation as, you know, you give your last mm-hmm. final profound <laughs> statement and hold their hands and die <laughs> peacefully. But rarely, mm-hmm. if ever, does it actually work like that. Uh, you do work with neurodegenerative disorders, which 
everything I hear about it is how hard it is to see the person you love not die in your hands, but progressively uh, get worse over a longer period of time. And even like if somebody is quote unquote on their deathbed, you don't actually Mm -hmm. know if it's today or three years from now. Or you say goodbyes and then they don't actually die, which is a good thing. <laughs> but again, there's so, so much unknown and uncertainty. So mm-hmm. how how do we go about that? Great question. Well, one thing to keep in mind is that dying can be a long process, but the moment of death itself is just a moment. And often it's not a calm, peaceful experience. It is a body shutting down. And so there can be sounds and changes of coloring and things of that sort that happen in this moment of death. But the dying Mm -hmm. process is where there is this opportunity to be present and be connected to an individual. And sometimes, as you said, that can be three to five years. And sometimes they are still within themselves or sometimes they have changed completely from the person that you know. And so it's a real Mm -hmm. test of character to keep showing up to care for someone who is no longer the person that you knew Mm. to to stick into your values of that I want to be there for someone in this way and I want them to not quote unquote be alone even if they know it or not Mm. I love that the real test of character is to keep showing up Mm -hmm. to care for someone who is no longer the person that you knew Mm -hmm. (sighs) that seems so so challenging And I'm wondering how common this experience is. I think when many of us think about intimate partnership, we do think of a certain level of egalitarianism or equality, or there are things I do for you and there are things that you do for me. How common is it for one partner to transition to a more caregiving role to the other who is perhaps helpless in their situation? Mm -hmm. And what does that intimate partner caregiving look like? It's interesting because... It's different in each relationship and also it's different in at different times and different ways. For example, there could be a, a reality that someone gets cancer in their 50s and 60s and so one of the members turns into a caregiver, but they work through that disease and that is no longer their role. Mm. And then it could be true later in life that it flips and that person, another one of them either gets cancer. One in two adults will end up with cancer. So that means the other one is going to be a caregiver often. And one in five adults are currently taking care of, of someone else. So that's 54 million people in the United States who are currently caregiving. Mm. And so the chances of you becoming a caregiver is really high in life. And as I said earlier, if the, if you're lucky enough to live the full lifespan, the chances of you needing to receive care is also really high. Mm-hmm. It's challenging. Our relationship to love and partnership has to be fluid and dynamic because life is fluid and dynamic. 
And so Mm. for many people, the greatest showing of love and commitment is to stick with someone throughout the different challenges one faces. So that can be going to the doctor with them twice a week, or that can be a willingness to help them shower or a willingness to make a really major decision like having to move someone into full-time care. Mm. And so my work with individuals as a, as a therapist and um, in my consulting practice is that I really like to work with people to think about what does it mean to be a good spouse? What does it mean to be a good daughter or a good son with the reality of this is what's happening in your personal life. Maybe you're working, maybe you're a parent, maybe you're just enjoying retirement. And the reality of what are the needs of my spouse or my parent? And how do we allow space for both of you to be thriving as much as possible? Because it can be really disheartening when we see caregivers give up all aspects of their life to really show up to be as best of a care partner as they can and their physical and mental health diminishes. And Mm -hmm. the truth is we don't want these major diseases to take two people down. We only want it to take, we don't want it to be around at all, but we really want to make sure that the caregiver is given these skills and these tools and the space that they are taking care of themselves to the best of the ability because that allows them to be there for the long haul. That allows them to be the kind of caregiver that they are striving to be and be there through the whole process of a disease. Hmm. Wow, I love that. I'll just repeat a few things. You said our relationship to love and partnership has to be fluid and dynamic because life is fluid and dynamic. And that the greatest showing of love and commitment is to stick with someone throughout all of life's challenges. Also, you have to love yourself and walk away. Oh. So I say that. Walk away. This is complicated. See, here we are. It's too complicated. Sometimes you have to walk away from something that's super unhealthy for you. Sometimes you have to find the right care for someone by caring for yourself and having to walk away. It is really what is best for both people. And that's what's forgotten a lot out there. What does walking away look like in this situation? Literally go to the bathroom for five seconds, splash some water on your face Uh, and, and walk away and take some deep breaths. Mm -hmm. walk away doesn't mean you permanently walk away but if sometimes if you're working with an individual with dementia who wanders we need to put them into a safer space that means you're not living together anymore and for some people that feels like they're giving up but really they are choosing safety Mm -hmm. it's tricky isn't it (laughs) this love (laughs) this love and caregiving game (laughs) well that that is my Next question around, there's the assumption that it is difficult or tricky, and we do often hear about how how heartbreaking it is, Mm -hmm. and particularly just around losing a loved one, there's going to be sadness and pain and grief and frustration. But 
I'm thinking about this basic idea in spiritual communities that selfless service is one of the most divine acts we can do, whether yeah. it's Mother Teresa or in yoga, it's called karma yoga. It's also called seva or service. And you do hear about this basic idea that if you want to be happy, make others happy. If you want love in your life, commit to loving others. So I am curious if there is, I don't even want to say silver lining, but an inner joy, an inner love, uh, an inner expression and understanding of one's unique role in the universe that happens when we do take care of another human being. Absolutely. The answer is yes here. Part of the reason I'm so dedicated to this work and holding space for caregivers is that I, time and time again, I have witnessed such deep personal growth for individuals if they allow themselves to really be in awareness of their experience, they can feel this deep sense of love and connection and meaning. Actually, statistically, in the 2020 caregiver statistics that came out, comes out every five years, they reported that 51% of caregivers report having more meaning in their life because they are doing this role. That's interesting. I almost feel like it would be higher. (laughs) So 49% don't have more meaning? But that doesn't, maybe they found meaning in other places in their life, right? Mm, Maybe mm -hmm. they are parents or maybe they are wrapping up a a major career or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. maybe they're suffering from isolation. Unfortunately, Mm. caregiving can also be very isolating. Mm. It doesn't have to be. If we all show up for each other in this deep loving way, in this spiritual practice of serving for ourselves and our neighbors and our communities, it doesn't have to be isolating. But unfortunately, people are so uncomfortable with disease and death that if let's, for example, say grandma has dementia, maybe some of grandma and grandpa's friends stop coming over because they don't know how to interact with with grandma who has dementia or Mm. the family members themselves, it's often a more reflection of the individuals, of course, and their discomfort with suffering and death will will stop showing up, especially when there's not a lot of solutions out there. Mm. When there isn't anything that one can do besides being present, Mm -hmm. there's always things that can be done, right? Bring some food, take out the garbage, (laughs) let the caregiver take a shower while you're with with grandma with dementia. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be scary or isolating, yet it often is. Yeah, let's get a little bit more into that because I do feel like we all want to be very loving to our partner. We also all, all imagine ourselves, of course, I would spoon feed my partner, you know, blended applesauce because <laughs> that's the only thing they can handle and mm-hmm. because I love them so much. Yeah. And then it goes on for a long period of time. Uh, right. It takes over our life. We see how truly demanding it gets when we're helping them uh, use the bathroom, for example. And it goes on for six months, a year, multiple years. And as you mentioned, it's easy to get exhausted, to completely sacrifice one's own life for that. And what do you say to those that are feeling that frustration, burnout, and exhaustion? It's very real, it's very common. It's okay. 
and you can still show up anyways. Mm. What I say is uh, allow this experience to bring up this frustration, this sadness. Allow yourself to learn what that feels like in your body. Allow yourself to learn how to express that through journaling, through meditation, through movement, and learn that you can hold love in the other hand at the same time. It is not one or the other. It is not, I am frustrated only, so that means I can't show up well, or I'm such a loving partner that I can't be frustrated. Really what happens in our lives is we have the full range of emotions and the Mm. goal, the opportunity for growth is for us to learn how to be with them in a way that they don't overwhelm us where we don't try to stuff them away or drink them away. But instead, of course, I'm frustrated for having to keep calling the insurance company to try to hunt this down. Or of course, I'm frustrated that I had to cancel my plans yet again. But how can I honor that? How can I turn that into a moment of self-compassion for myself that yes this is what i'm doing with my life i'm i'm acting out of this agape love right this selfless mm. love mm-hmm. and so how can i also offer that love for myself i love mm. myself even when i'm feeling this frustrated hmm. it's so interesting how in taking care of someone else, we really learn what it means to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I wanted to ask you about that famous article. I think that turned into a book called The Top, Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Mm-hmm. But just listening to you, I'm less interested in what people going through death regret and more thinking about what they want and what mm-hmm. they need. So Mm -hmm. how we can most be of service. Mm -hmm. There's a, for example, a huge temptation to help. Like, let me help you up out of your chair. And it's like, well, they, maybe they they want the ability to get themselves out of the chair, for example. But I'm also Mm -hmm. hearing from you just the, the really profound feeling of having somebody be there for you. To be with you. Right. Mm-hmm. Instead of mm-hmm. it having to to feel like they're there just for you to help you. But how do they how do you feel like someone is willing to just sit next to you and hold your hand that they don't need to try to fix you or make you do X, Y and Z if you're this close to death and that they, they can just be with you and it can feel less scary because I have someone witnessing this experience that I'm having as well. Mm. I think what one can do is also bring humor in and and joy and songs that they're used to. And Mm. because if dying is this multi-year process, if we all just keep saying, this is so sad, this is so sad, then we're just going to manifest that this is so sad. But maybe there's some humor in it. Maybe there's some remembering silly things and helping them celebrate their whole life experience and not just this end part for them. Mm -hmm. And as a person of service, how can I get comfortable with being more patient, allowing them to try to get up out of the chair themselves, 
how do I, instead of feeling the urge to just go over there and help, how do I slow down, look them in the eye and say, can I help you? Would you like help? Mm. And listen. But we as humans, we want to fix problems. Oh, yeah. And unfortunately, in, in many times at these late stages in life, there is nothing to be fixed. So mm. there's also this whole piece of it of what's the quality versus quantity of life. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. maybe some people are staying alive because their adult daughter is scared mm. of them dying. And so it's also permission giving to say, when you're ready, al allow yourself to go. But just trying to clue in to them and, uh, and listen mm. versus fix. Well, one thing I'm hearing from you is different qualities you might want to think about cultivating to help us in this process. I'm hearing patience. I'm hearing listening. And I'm wondering what are some other things that I can do to prepare for a caregiving role? Oh, well, if we're going to jump there, really, I want people to be having the conversation with their loved ones about death about what they would want at their funeral about do they have their legal documents set up do you want to be on a feeding tube if that is what it comes to the more the conversation can happen early and often the less questioning of what do they want and the less burden it is on the caregiver themselves because if we don't know what the person who the care receiver wants then all of a sudden that decision is placed on the caregiver. And there, mm. that feels like a really weighty decision to make. And we act out of fear. We act out of what we would want, maybe then what they would want. We act out of, I'm in a crisis moment, so I'm just going to listen to whatever these doctors say and sure, let's have a surgery at 87 years old, you know? Mm. And so one thing to do to prepare is really have that framework, that conversation with your loved ones. Also, it's important to tell your bosses and your medical providers if you're stepping into that caregiving role and we invite them into being more compassionate and specifically with medical doctors so that they know to watch your health because unfortunately if if one is not balanced they are not taking care of themselves so we want a team around the care receiver as well as the care provider it's just modern day that we've siloed our families into these small single houses or apartments but we are mm -hmm. tribal people <laughs> mm -hmm. in general. And so we need to depend on the tribes for all big events in life, right? It is mm -hmm. meant to be celebrated, to be together for, for birth to death and mm. a lot in between. Also, a thing to do to prepare is to clean out your living space and make it accessible. There's a chance that you're going to need grab bars. There's going to, you know, you're going to need to change some of the actual physical environment. And then we've talked about this in other ways, but another way to prepare is really doing some of your own emotional work and and really looking at what your relationship to death, to suffering, to ends look like. And that's 
your own stuff about what I think and feel and turn into spirituality with that. But also, what have I learned in my family of origin about how we handle grief? And do I agree with that? What have Mm. I learned culturally of what I need to do as a caregiver? And does that actually make sense for my makeup as a human? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Hearing you, I'm curious if you were able to rewrite the rules about how or make your own culture <laughs> that <laughs> approaches death in, in a more life-serving way, what would that look like? More people would be involved in mm. general, I think, you mm. know, for, and this has been changing culturally. I think each generation approaches it differently. The elder generation were kind of taught children are meant to be uh, seen and not heard right? To be quiet. And they weren't, maybe they weren't even invited to grandma's funerals because it was for adults only. And that doesn't make sense developmentally. I had a relationship with grandma. Now all of a sudden grandma's gone and, and we don't want to tell them that, that they're coming back. We want to be clear, but in really soft, language and again that idea of listening right that that has to be for every generation because death impacts us all with anyone who has a relationship with with the individual Mm -hmm. i really love some of the work that the zen caregiving center does in san francisco around Mm. around death and putting flowers on the body like a few moments after the death and just Having that ritual is really important for the people who've been serving them and and being near them for the last couple of years because not only are the family caregivers grieving, but so are the professional caregivers who developed these relationships with mm-hmm. with the loved ones as well. And I, of course, would keep connecting death back to nature and mm. and trying to allow us to see death not just in in the dying of an individual, but of, of the seasons that change. Mm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about how often someone in this role, even like yourself is at the liminal edge of human existence. Mm. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, conclusions are, findings have been around what happens after for that soul spirit. (laughs) Um, you know, that I think can be different for each one of our souls and our spirits. For some people, they're able to connect to that soul after someone has died. It is not, I had the experience that I was getting a massage and I had this like rush of energy in my body and I was like, my grandfather just died. He just came came through me and let me know. And then at the end of the mm. massage, I walked to the park and I looked down on my phone and there was missed calls from my first cousins and my parents. And I just had this inner knowing in some ways. And some people continue to have relationships and conversations with those who have died. And that can be really impactful and healing. And for others, that feels mm. really scary. Um, and so some people believe that this is an energy that gets recycled and reformed and shows up differently. And I 
don't think there is one right answer. It is allowing yourself to feel into the options. Mm. I feel like we're often put to the question around what can death teach us about life? Mm -hmm. But I'm curious what death can teach us around love. Mm. Yeah. Death is a teacher around compassion. Death is Mm. a teacher of impermanence, as is love. I think death is a teacher that one can love and feel connected at multiple stages, ways. Just because someone has died, that doesn't mean they weren't your mother or your brother still. That relationship is still impactful in your life, even if that human is not alive because you still had that relationship. Mm -hmm. When, When people have experienced a death, and they're in this grief process, I honestly feel like it shakes up their perspective in in deep to the soul. I mean, let me tell you how little you care about the bill at the grocery store or the pop culture or whatever, because (laughs) it feels so irrelevant in comparison to this deep, the deepness, the soul level work that is grief and death that goes beyond space and time grief Mm. can last for 30 days it can last for 30 years and that's because it's soul level Mm. i feel like that's a perfect segue into my final question that i love to ask all of my guests which is simply what do you wish everyone knew about love that it is possible to create for themselves Mm that the initial way to to love is to find it within oneself and be able to expand it outwards. I think also that love is flexible and fleeing and feels different between each day and each hour, and that can be okay, that it doesn't have to feel good or be the Disney projection or something of that sort of is Mm. seen when you have your eyes open for it. (laughs) (laughs) If you allow yourself to see and witness love, you will see people helping each other all over the place. (sighs) Wow. I've just been having goosebumps this entire conversation, just thinking about the great beyond and thinking about the compassion that grows when we are able to sit with and be with people going through this essential part of the human experience that we don't get to talk about nearly enough. So thank you so much, Daniela Marchik, for coming on to the show. For our listeners that want to learn more about you, how can they find you? I really love working with individuals and I love also working with adult families about these topics, about what is grief, how do we deal with it in our family, when do we know it's time to move mom, etc. How can I mm. be a sustainable caregiver? And... Um, you can find me at supportivecaregivers.com or on Instagram at supportivecaregivers. And then I also do professional trainings for in-home healthcare 
providers and professional caregivers. And that is through a organization called Professional Competency in Elder Caregiving. And we really want to change the dynamic and make sure that professional caregivers are also getting the emotional support and the relationship skills so that they can be more in harmony with the family caregivers and so that the family caregivers can be more in harmony with them and make ease for the care recipients. It reminds me of that phrase, like, who's watching the watcher? In other words, that like, who's taking mm-hmm. care of the people taking care of people? Yes, and it that's is... me. <laughs> <laughs> Trying. <laughs> it's, my, it's my way to honor our elders is if their teams around them are a little bit more regulated, they mm-hmm. can be more mm-hmm. relaxed or regulated. Wow. Oh, thank you so much, Daniela, for the super rich conversation. You'll have to come back onto the show because I have so many more questions around death and love and the aging process. And I really appreciate all your insights. And thank you, listeners, for listening to the show. We hope you remember all of the wonderful insights and nuggets of truth that Daniela brought today, including that our relationship to love and partnership has to be fluid and dynamic because life is fluid and dynamic. That one of the greatest showings of love and commitment is to stick with someone throughout life's challenges, including if they are no longer the person that you used to know. And sometimes loving yourself means walking away, taking care of yourself. As someone goes through this process, it's important to have their affairs in order. And the more people that can be involved in the process, the better. Death teaches us of love and compassion for others, as well as the reality of impermanence that love will change. But it is possible to create for yourself in each and every moment. So open your eyes to all the love around and all the tiny connections we create every single day. If you want to learn more about me, you can go to zachbeach.com and learn more about the show at theheartcenter.com. Thanks again, Daniela. Thank you, Zach. It's been an honor. Thank you, listeners. Be well. Be well. Thanks again for listening to the Learn to Love podcast. To learn more about the show and your host, head over to ZachBeach.com or TheHeartCenter.com. You can also follow Zach on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.